0: Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, I would ask y'all, how is your fasting going? But you're not supposed to tell me, so I won't. Uh, It is Lent now. We've started uh, this past Wednesday for Ash Wednesday. I had a lot to say about what it is that we could do to give up certain things, those things that would hold us back from hearing God's word, from reading his word. And uh, there are some things that we could do, but in the end, it's never perfect, right? It's never like what Jesus does, in that he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and he was hungry. That's quite the understatement. He was hungry. Well, of course he was. He hadn't eaten for 40 days, 40 nights. What was he doing during that time? Did he just sit there? Did he twiddle his thumbs? Did he walk around for a bit? Did he stay out of the sun when it was hot and just kind of hang out? What did he do? What had he done up to this point? We don't really know exactly. I would like to think that on some level, he sat there and was chewing on God's word, being fed by God's word, hearing God's word spoken by himself, God himself. It's kind of an interesting thing to think about, that God himself, the word made flesh, spoke the word and helped himself in that way. He was, being, he was being actively obedient to his father's will in going into the desert to be tempted after suffering such great pains of hunger because he was, after all, flesh and blood. He was... He is divine, and he is flesh and blood. In the person of Christ, there is both God and man. And so he suffered, but not for himself. He was hungry, but not to prove anything for himself. Everything that he did was for us, so that when we face our 40 days of giving up whatever it is, I recommend TV. Um, (laughs) You probably know that by now. I recommend giving up your TV for 40 days. You know, or at least most of the day, if you can handle it, right? Give up those things that would pull you away from God's word. Maybe put your phone down during the day and only check it at certain times. I don't know. And believe it or not, that stuff's hard. We don't have a TV in our home and that's not to say that we're so great because we still have cell phones. We still have smartphones, and we, we check things here and there and we've said to ourselves, we gotta set some time aside to where we're not looking at these things all the time. And so we try and we struggle. And how strange that is. We struggle from having to put a tiny square down or a tiny rectangle that glows down so we won't look at it. It's addictive. Our sinful flesh yearns for these things that in and of themselves are not necessarily bad, but really in this world, things are tainted. You know, you hear a lot of things about how, well, it's a neutral thing, and it just depends on how you use it. There is no neutrality in this world. In this world, everything is fallen. And it is good on some level, but it is so easily twisted for our own sinful desires. We can keep these things in mind when we are tempted by Satan, because he does tempt us, and he tempts us just as he tempted Christ. It's worth going through all these different temptations and see how Jesus himself deals with them. That Satan first comes, and he says, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Now, Bread in and of itself is not bad. Bread is good. It nourishes you. It strengthens you. It satisfies you. And yet, in this instance, bread is being used for idolatry. To tempt Jesus to break the fast when he's not supposed to. And to use his divine powers to satisfy his human needs and wants. And so Jesus rightfully says, um, Jesus rightfully says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then the devil takes him to Jerusalem and sets him on the pinnacle of the temple and says to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. And this is where he starts to get really tricky because he knows the game now that Jesus uses God's word. So Satan uses God's word. And he says, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. And that comes from Psalm 91. Psalm 91. And Jesus says to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And then this is where we really see what Satan is really up to. The devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. That's Satan's goal. He wants us to fall down and worship him. And Jesus says, Begone, Satan, for, for it is written, you shall, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And then the devil and, and then, then the devil left him. What can we learn from these things? It helps to see the end goal of Satan, to know that he wants your thanks and praise to him and not to God. He wants you to bow down and to to worship him. And it's almost comical how crass he is here with Jesus, outrightly saying it. This is what I want you to do. And maybe that's out of his own frustration because he just can't beat Jesus. He can't make him submit. But this is revealing, and we thank God for it, that Christ shows this to us, that this is Satan's goal. Satan is the father of lies. Every lie, hear me now, every lie comes from him. Every lie. Even the smallest ones to the biggest. Every lie comes from Satan, the father of lies. And so Satan sets all these lies out throughout this world as hooks. When you set out a hook on a line, or when you set out several hooks to catch fish, do you care which hook that fish grabs onto? No, you don't care. Any lie will do, any hook will do to reel you in. His end goal is that he desires you, your soul, your praise, and thanks to him. Any lie will do. And he's more subtle than he is in these passages. He actually, with us, is more like in the first temptation. Just do these things and everything will be okay. Just do these things against God's will. He shows us the good of creation. And he glorifies the good of creation so that we won't look at the good of the God who created it. He shows us how good a gift is so that we won't look at who gives it. You see how that works? Satan is crafty. And oftentimes, we adults have a really hard time with this, right? Kids get it. Kids understand on some level that when you ask a kid... What is it that you have that was not given to you? And you've heard me say this before. Kids will say, oh, well, my mom got me this shirt. My dad got me these shoes. Uh, My grandma got this bow in my hair, as my daughter will say, you know. Grandma got me that. Daddy got me these things. Mama got me this. And yet we as adults forget sometimes where the good gifts come from. And when you ask an adult that question, you say, what is it that you have that has not been given to you. Usually there's a long pause, right? And we say to ourselves, well, I don't know. I mean, I, I had to work really hard to save up a lot of money for that house. I worked really hard to get that job and that car. I worked really hard for those things. But in the end, what they really are, are gifts from God. And so Satan likes to take those things and says, look how good that is. And it's right, they are good. To have a house and home, to have a family, to have food on the table, these things are good. But to not give thanks to God for those things is idolatry, right? It's to fall into the temptation to say, these things are better than God. Now we don't think so crassly, right? But... That's what Satan wants us to start to do. It may sound silly, but when you stop giving thanks for your food at the table, it's easy to just not do it over and over and over again. When you hear good news about somebody that has gotten better after being in the hospital and you don't have the habit of saying, thanks be to God, because that's who really did the work, you're more likely to say, well, those doctors sure are good. And yeah, they sure are, but God gave them those gifts. God provided those doctors for you, for that person, right? All good things come from God. And so Satan is very subtle in that. And this is where we really have to watch ourselves. As Christians today, we really have to watch ourselves, and some people might think I'm going a little too far, maybe. I don't know, you may think, Pastor, let's not get too political here, but... There are political ideologies out there that theologically are not Christian. It is true that we in the church face threats from hostile thoughts, hostile ideas. And you may say, well, I don't know. Do we really have to worry about Marxism, communism, socialism, all these things, right? Do we really have to worry about these things? Yeah, we do. We have people in the church, in a lot of other church bodies, especially too, that they use the the relational stresses in life to bend us to a certain will. That they use they use the tactic of Satan where instead of saying if you are the Son of God, they'll say if you're really a Christian, you'll support X, Y, and Z, right? If you're really a Christian, you'll support social justice. If you're really a Christian, you'll support racial justice. If you're really a Christian, you'll support whatever kind of justice they want that is a modifier of true justice that shows partiality in the end. But God does not show partiality. God does not work like that. But Satan will use people as the instruments for his ends to get us to buy any kind of lie, any kind of hook that he can just yank and reel us in. So we have to be careful. We have to be careful when people say things to us and learn from scripture. Be slow to speak and quick to listen when someone starts talking about a modifier to justice or to get you involved in a certain political feat, don't be hasty. Take your time. Consider. Be wise. Talk to other people who may know what God's word says about this if you don't know off the top of your head what it does. Because the only way to fight Satan and his wiles and his craftiness is to be just as crafty. To be as wise as serpents, to be as wise as serpents, but as innocent as doves. To rely on God's word and know what to say. That it is written, right? It is written. Or maybe it is not written. If someone starts saying that God's word says this, say it doesn't say anything about that. Don't add to God's word and don't take away from it. Speak where God speaks and be silent where he is silent. Speak out about true justice. Speak out about God's law for all people. Don't show partiality, but do what is right for those that God has called you to serve right in front of him. That takes a certain amount of 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 wisdom. It takes time. It takes patience. Ultimately, it takes God's word, God's truth, the truth, the only truth that there is, for God is truth. With this, we know that whatever temptation that we face, whatever assaults from um from whatever assaults from, from, from Satan that we face today, we can only ward them off by the word of God. The father of lies is no match for the word of truth. And the word of truth is Jesus Christ himself, the word made flesh. In his word, there is direct and 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 revealing truth because God's light shines on that darkness that Satan would have us stay in, blind to. And Jesus is often very quick and succinct. What does he say? He doesn't contend with the devil and saying, well, you know, you misread that, Satan. Let me correct you on that. He says, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. End of story, that's it. Don't tell me to use the Psalms for my own sinful gain, right? Don't tell me to use God's word for sin. That is not what it's for. And one little word can fell him. One word. He is a liar. God's word is clear. It is concise. And it makes sense. assertions that we can live by. When um, Luther was contending with another scholar of his day, um, later on, the correspondence between the two of them was put into a book called the, called the Bondage of the Will. His opponent wanted to get into all of these things saying, well, you know, it says this, and and, and, and he was trying to really just make scripture say certain things it didn't say and said, God would surely do this because we know that he's love and all these things. And Luther just had to say, we just have to rejoice in the assertions that scripture puts forth. Sometimes it's not worth contending and just rejoice in the assertions because they're blessed, they're wonderful, they're clear, they're true. Some of us, at least some theologians, will say that if you use proof texts too much, then all you know is proof texts. But proof texts are how we know certain things are true. We know that baptism is true because 1 Peter 3.21 says, or baptism now saves you. We know that baptism provides salvation because Mark 16.16 16 says, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Right? Clear, concise, punchy. It gets right to the point. It is good for us to use it. It is good for us to use it, even if we know just a few little passages by heart. For where God's word dwells, there his truth is. And if his word dwells firmly within your heart, it will pour forth. We heard this morning when we were going through Psalm 51, where does God tell us that goodness and sin both come from. It comes from the heart. That out of the mouth, Jesus says, come all sorts of sinful things because the heart pours forth from the mouth. And likewise, if God's word is on our heart, it will pour forth because we won't be able to help it. It We'd be like Jeremiah We'll be burning from the inside when we say, I can't say that, I can't say that, and all of a sudden, we do and we are blessed, even though we may be shouted at and persecuted and slandered. For Jesus says, blessed are you when others persecute you and slander you falsely for my sake. For just like the prophets before you, they are doing this to you. Blessed are you when you speak the word of God, And know that when Jesus speaks the word, amazingly enough here in this passage, he not only wards off Satan, but he strengthens himself. He feeds himself with the word. And in that way, like the armor of God that we read about, everything else is passive, but the word of God is active. It is the sword of... It is the sword... It is the sword of the Spirit. It cuts through all of the nonsense. It cuts through the lies and shows truth. We see that when Jesus is tempted here and he fights against 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 his foe and thus our foe, when he fights against against Satan himself, he uses his word and he shows that in the midst of temptation that he faced, he knows what we go through. We saw from our text from Hebrews that since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast... Um, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is, who is not able to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive that we may receive, um, that we may receive um, Mercy and find grace to help in time of need. He stands in our place. He stood in our place there in being tempted. He stood in our place on his cross where we should have died. And now he stands in our place and we stand with him being dead to our sin and raised to new life in Christ. We now are co-heirs with him and everything that he has, we now have. So in that, we can stare Satan square in the face and say, be gone for I am a baptized child of God. My baptism has saved me in the death and the, the, the resurrection of Christ that I now live new through him. I am a new creation in Christ. And drive him away. For as as James says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. But before that, he says, submit yourself to God. Trust in him. He will provide for you all that you need. He will give you what it is that you are to speak, knowing his word, trusting in his spirit. Um, trusting in his spirit and speaking that word that he has granted you to say. So as we go forward through the rest of this Lenten tide, I pray that we would trust in God's word more and more, that we, when we are faced with clear temptation or even subtle temptation, we would run back to God's word, go back to the font in which God's truth pours fresh and free and new every time you go to it. Go to God's word. Go to someone else who knows what God's word says. They can point you to what it says, where it says exactly what you need to hear. Trust in God. Trust in his word. In his word made flesh, Jesus Christ, and he will prevail for you and through you. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.